Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Give ear to the reading of, reading of God's holy word. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word to us today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us here in your word this model prayer that the disciples, uh, we, we echo their prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. We ask that you would give us understanding into the Lord's prayer even now and that it would, uh, would sink deep into our hearts and minds, that it would change how we pray, that we pray more and more according to your will as expressed in this prayer. Uh, move in us, uh, work in us what is pleasing in your sight through Christ, to whom be the glory, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing uh, the study of the Lord's Prayer that we sort of began briefly last Sunday. We only touched upon it a little bit uh, at the end, towards the end of last Sunday's sermon. Uh, Lord willing, if it's God's plan, our plan this morning, my plan is to is to do kind of an overview of the Lord's Prayer this morning, to give you the big picture of it, and in the Sundays that follow, to go through each petition or request one at a time in the Sundays that follow. We will be getting back into our study through the book of Revelation. We haven't forgotten about that, but I thought this would be a good way to start our new year together, something that's awfully important that we always need to be taught and reminded of uh, things in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to see at least two things from our text of the Lord's Prayer this morning. We're going to see the Lord's Prayer first. We're going to see it as a pattern. We're going to see the Lord's Prayer as a pattern that is it's the prayer that Jesus taught to us in the scriptures to teach us how to pray, and he also gave it to us to be a pattern or model for our own prayers. The second thing we're going to see from the text that we're going to spend some time looking at is not just the Lord's Prayer as our pattern, but we're going to look at the pattern of the Lord's Prayer or the outline of the Lord's Prayer and what, had, what that has to teach us. It's not just the individual requests in the prayer that have a lot to teach us, but really the outline and the structure of the prayer as well has a lot to teach us about how we should pray. So the first thing we're going to see this morning here in the text is that the Lord's Prayer is taught, it's given to be a pattern or model for our prayers. After Jesus in the previous verses told the disciples how not to pray. Remember he said, don't pray like the hypocrites, don't pray like the heathen. Uh, what he does is he he, teach, he tells them not just how not to pray, but how they should pray. Here's how you should pray as a model. It has become to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Pray then this. This is how you should pray. The King James says, after this manner, therefore pray. So in other words, Jesus explicitly gives this prayer to us to be uh, to be a model prayer for us to to build and model our own prayers after. It's the prayer that we are to, both in private prayer on your own and as well as in corporate prayer, both at prayer meetings and in, in Sunday worship like we just did here, uh, we are to use it to model our own 
prayers and even to pray it itself, to pray it verbatim, the words given here. The Westminster Shorter Catechism last Sunday I mentioned uh, that it calls the Lord's Prayer the special rule of direction for our prayers. In other words, you know, there's all through the Bible there are things that teach us how to pray, but the Lord's Prayer in particular is the one that's given as our special direction and rule for our prayers. So when you want to think about prayer, when you want to learn about prayer, you can look at all kinds of places, but the one place we should come back to again and again is our text. If you're looking to have your prayer lives reformed and changed and conformed to God's will, uh, we should be returning over and over again, both in our prayers and in our studies, to the Lord's Prayer, as we see here in our in our text. Now, some of us, uh, many of you, have grown up in the church praying this prayer in corporate worship. You probably didn't have to work really hard to think of the words as Rob was leading us in it. And that's that's a good thing. That prayer should be taught in the church. It should be prayed and, and practiced in the church and in our homes. It should be taught to our children and to our grandchildren. Uh, if we would like to have the next generation after us grow up to be well-equipped to pray, to be men and women of prayer in the church, then we must make it a point to teach the next generation the Lord's Prayer, and not just teach them the words, it's good to, you know, it's kind of like the ABCs of, of prayer. We, we do want to teach them to memorize it and to be able to, to pray it together with us, but we also want to teach them uh, what, what it means. We want ourselves and our children to understand what we're asking for when we pray this prayer. We, we, want, to, we want to pray it with understanding and not just mouth the words. Now, a lot of times, uh, a lot of things in church, whether it be hymns, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the doxology, all kinds of things, we do them repetitively, and that's not a bad thing, but we shouldn't do them mindlessly. We want to do them with understanding, and we certainly want to pray with understanding. And again, that's why you see in the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, for example, that's why you see the Lord's Prayer highlighted in both of those, that each, each, each one of those catechisms spends a good bit of time teaching the Lord's Prayer and what it, what it means and remember, those catechisms, I know to us in our day and age, those things can seem kind of foreign to us, and we think of them as very difficult. When I went to seminary, it was the first time I was ever exposed to both of those catechisms, and I thought, wow, I'm learning this deep spiritual, you know, doctrinal truth that, you know, the, the, the regular people don't get to learn, and then I realized, no, this was to be taught to kids. The Heidelberg Catechism is still taught in many churches to be memorized all of its questions, it's over 100 questions, uh, to the children when they are confirmed as, as, uh, as communing members of the church. The Shorter Catechism, what is it, 109 questions long, 107 questions long? It's, it's, it's meant to be taught and memorized by, taught to and memorized by children, not just adults. And so one of the things that that, that focuses on and that should be instructive for us is this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. My favorite Puritan writer, Thomas Watson, has the following to say about the Lord's Prayer being our great pattern for prayer. He says, let us have a great esteem of the Lord's Prayer. Let it be the model and pattern of all our prayers. There is a double benefit arising from framing our petition suitably to this prayer. Hereby, error in prayer is prevented. It is not easy to write wrong, to write incorrectly, after this copy, we cannot easily err when we have our pattern before us. Secondly, he says, hereby mercies requested are obtained. 
For the apostle assures us that God will hear us when we pray according to his will. 1 John 5, 14. And sure we pray according to his will when we pray according to the pattern he has set for us. If we want to pray according to God's will, well, the easiest way, the simplest way to make sure you're doing that is to pray according to Scripture. And the most particular part of Scripture we can pray according to in that way is the Lord's Prayer. So Watson is certainly right there. It's hard to go wrong in our prayers if we keep this great model prayer in mind. doesn't mean you always have to say it verbatim, but we keep it in mind as we pray. It will help us to pray rightly. Not only that, but if you want to be heard and answered, and why else would you pray, right? If we want to obtain the answers and the mercies that we are praying for, we have to pray in accordance with God's will. That's a good thing. 1 John 5, 14-15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, toward God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. You know, when we say that we know God hears, God hears everything. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, he's not talking about God's omniscience. He's talking about God hearing and receiving and accepting our prayers. For God to hear our prayers, as we sang and and read in Psalm 5, give ear to our, our words, O Lord. For him to give ear to it means he's answering it. That he's giving us the mercies that we have requested of him, that he has given to us in in Christ. So if you want to have confidence in prayer, and who doesn't want to have confidence in our prayers that God will answer, then we must learn to pray according to the will of God. And where are you better taught to pray according to God's will in all things than in the Lord's Prayer? That's why I thought it would be good for us to spend some time in this. He's given us this prayer to be a pattern of our own prayers that so we might be more and more equipped to pray according to God's will. You know, it's been rightly said by someone much wiser than me that every faithful preacher's reach always exceeds his grasp and that we have to preach our sermons to ourselves first. That's always a, a struggle uh, for me and I'm sure many others because you know we, we preachers, we elders, as Rob mentioned, we are in need of the same grace, mercy, and edification and learning as the rest of the church. And that's certainly true when it comes to the subject of prayer. You know, what, what, any subject of the Bible I teach on, personally, I feel ill-equipped or unqualified in some sense to do it, and prayer is probably more than any other subject, one that is uh, convicting and one that we all need to learn, uh, including myself, better how to, how to pray. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I measure my, when I take the time, I don't often take the time, but when I take the time to measure my own praying, and to th- I don't mean with a stopwatch, I mean to think about how I pray, my practice of prayer, when I, if I take the time to measure it and to look at it in light of the Lord's Prayer, the, the two don't seem to match up very well. My, my prayers tend to be heavy on the requests related to my own needs and the needs of others. The first thing that comes to my mind in prayer after all these years really isn't naturally on my own that God's name might be hallowed and revered. Uh, I don't first think of praying for the coming of God's kingdom or that his will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is it the first thing you think of when you pray? It isn't always when I pray. Maybe it isn't often on my mind first and foremost when, when I pray. When you pray, does your praying resemble the Lord's prayer in any substantial way? Do you find yourself praying for the same things that our Lord Jesus teaches us to pray about, and in the order that he teaches us to pray for them as well. 
Often I think the case is that, that they are not. If not, then we have to take heed again to the Lord's Prayer as our great pattern. It, it's, it's always good to be reminded of things that you've even been taught many times before. We often lose sight of things. And so we need to seek more and more to conform our prayers to this great model prayer that Jesus Christ gave to us to be our great pattern for prayer, that we might grow in our assurance that we're heard by our Heavenly Father, and that we might grow in our assurance and confidence that we will receive the mercies for which we pray to Him in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us to the second thing I want us to take notice of in our text, not just that the Lord's Prayer is our pattern for prayer, but we're going to look at the outline or pattern of the Lord's Prayer itself. Now, the outline or division of this model prayer, I think, has a lot to teach us, and it basically can be divided up into two parts. And a lot, it, It's kind of like the Ten Commandments in that way. We have two tables of the law in the Ten Commandments. You have the, the first four commandments deal with loving God, Specifically, uh, this, the last six, or the second half, so to speak, not an equal half, deals with loving your neighbor. That's what the Ten Commandments deal with. It's, it's the law of, of love. Well, the, ten, the, the Lord's Prayer, similarly, can be divided up basically in half. The first three uh, petitions or requests deal with God himself, and the last three deal with our own needs. Look again at verses 9 through 10. In our text, verses 9 through 10, Jesus says, Pray then like this, and look at the first three requests. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. Now those three things, uh, in the English translations, very often don't even sound like requests, but that's what they are. Those three things, that God's name might be hallowed, or revered, or seen as holy, that is a request. It's the first request that God's kingdom may come, that it might be made manifest, that it may, the final manifestation of his kingdom might come with the return of Christ as well. That is a request. And that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is also a request. We're praying that God's will might be done more and more in our lives and in the world around us, just like it is perfectly in heaven. Now, what comes first here in prayer comes first not just in sequence. It isn't like God, it isn't like the Lord Jesus Christ had six subjects and kind of spun the wheel, and whatever order they came up in, they kind of came up in. There's a very definite structure and priority here. And the things that come first here in the prayer come first not just in in sequence, but in priority as well. And so if you and I are going to learn to pray rightly and pray as the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, we have to learn to keep first things first in our prayers. We have to learn to keep first things first. First, that means in our prayers, especially in our prayers together as the church, we have to prioritize the holiness and glory of the name of the Lord and the coming of his kingdom, and that his will might be done in all things uh, over even our daily bread. This comes first. Uh, these things come first. And so while we, we don't want to be too spiritual, I don't know if you've ever, ever met somebody, maybe you've done this, uh, you ever known somebody that's that's very, very spiritual, that they don't pray for certain things? They don't pray for physical needs. They don't pray for daily bread. They don't pray for people that are sick. Uh, we don't want to be so spiritual as to refuse to pray for our daily needs because Jesus teaches us to do just that, to pray for our daily bread uh, in verse 11. Uh, but even so, we have to be mindful of the glory of God's name even while you pray for those things. The first request isn't our daily bread. The first request is that God's name might be hallowed. John Calvin goes as far as to say this. He says, When we ask that our daily bread be given us, although we are making a personal request which will benefit us, 
we must hereto seek first, or first seek, God's glory, so that if it were not to his glory, we would not choose to ask or wish for it. He's talking about your daily bread. He's saying that God's glory, the, the glory of his holy name, the holiness, the reverence to his name must come first to such a degree that we would say that if it doesn't glorify your name, don't give me my daily bread. You know, what is, what is we, we mentioned it before the sermon, what does Jesus say according to Deuteronomy? Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. His word's even more important than our daily bread, and certainly his glory is as well. God's glory comes first, even when it comes to our daily bread. 1 Corinthians 10.31, you might know this passage. The Apostle Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. Even eating and drinking can glorify or not glorify God. If that's the case, which, which things such as our food and drink, how much more true should that be of our prayers and of the things that we request of our Heavenly Father in prayer in the name of Christ? So let us pray that the name of our Heavenly Father might be hallowed or regarded as holy. And if we are truly children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, if we truly have the right to become the children of God because we've received Christ by faith, and if we have the privilege of calling God, the one true and living God, our Heavenly Father, it will not be too much for us to put the glory of his name first, will it? If we think of God as our Heavenly Father, if we rightly can call upon him as that, we should be happy to pray for his glory above all things. It should be our delight to pray and seek his glory. Do we think first of God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will in the things that we pray for? Because that's what the pattern or the outline of this prayer teaches us to do. It doesn't just teach us to include those things in our prayers and to pray for those things. That, Like I said, I'm often prone to forget those things, but it also tells us to put those things first in priority in our prayers as well as in our lives. And I think that's something that we also need to bear in mind as well and be reminded of. It's if our lives, our thoughts, our words, and our actions... Uh, also have to reflect these same priorities. If we're going to make these things our prayers, they should be reflected in our lives as well. Praying this way should naturally lead to living in light of these same requests. So let praying for the glory of God's name cause us to be mindful of how our thoughts, words, and actions reflect on the glory of God's name. How, does my, how do my thoughts, how do my words and actions reflect upon or, or fail to reflect upon the glory of of God, Let us pray that God's name might be hallowed, and not just hallowed, but hallowed in you. Pray that God's name might be glorified in us. Let us pray that his kingdom might come and be made manifested, not just in general, but in our lives in particular, and in his church. Let us pray that not just that his will might be done, but that we might do his will, that he might, as that passage from Hebrews that Rob read, uh, said that he might work, what, work in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ that we might do his will, that he might have his will done in our lives. But the second half of the prayer also does deal with our daily needs, doesn't it? It's a, it's a kindness and mercy of God that he doesn't omit those things. The prayer that Jesus taught us is not so spiritual, so to speak, as to exclude our daily needs and the things that often cause us care and anxiety. Look at verses 11 to 13 when he says, "'Give us this day our daily bread.'" And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven 
our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, Most commentators and scholars say that's three requests, not four, that when he says that last one, lead us not into temptation, he doesn't say lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. It's But deliver us from evil means it's it's part of the same request, that last petition of the Lord's Prayer. The, The Heidelberg Catechism, question 118, says that in the Lord's Prayer we are commanded, not just taught, commanded to ask of God, quote, all things necessary for soul and body. In other words, everything you need for soul and body that you are to ask for is included in this this prayer, especially in the second half of the Lord's prayer. You and I are to pray for our daily bread. What is daily bread? It means that your daily needs. What's the most basic thing, the most basic food you can think of? Remember in the old movies, if somebody was in prison and they were having you know hard time, bread and water. You know, it's just the bare minimum to keep them alive. The the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings, what did they have? They had manna, bread from heaven, uh, from the Lord every every day. So it's daily bread means our daily needs for life, whatever those things may be, food, water, shelter, even the air we breathe. You know, most of us, I think, maybe all of us, if we're honest, assume and presume that we know exactly where our next meal is coming from. It's like we sort of pray, give us this day our daily bread, but... We really think and acknowledge that we are dependent upon God for every meal we eat. Some of us have, I know we have two refrigerators at home, uh, tons of food. I, I don't worry about going hungry. I don't worry about my kids starving or even our pets being hungry. But uh, we should we take for granted, but should, should we take it for granted? We don't, we don't like to think of ourselves as needy, do we? We don't like to think of ourselves as needy, but we are needy. No matter how much food you have in the fridge or refrigerators, however many you may have, we are dependent upon our Heavenly Father for everything, even for our next meal. Even if we don't think we are. If we don't have it from Him, we don't have it at all. That's all of us. Everything we have, even the source of our income, our gifts and abilities to work and earn a living, all those things come from God alone, period. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? It's a good question. The answer is nothing. And if if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He's talking about your gifts and abilities, your talents, your intelligence, all that you're learning, all those things are gifts from God alone. And we should thank Him for them. How many of us pray and really pray for our daily bread? That God might meet our needs. We are every bit as dependent upon the mercy and kindness of God for our daily bread as the Israelites were in the wilderness wanderings when they had that manna that they held. They only got to have enough for one day every day, except for the day before the Sabbath. We are creatures of body and soul, and so we also must not neglect the spiritual side, so to speak, the soul side of our lives in prayer as well. In fact, you could say that that's the side that the prayer spends twice as much time on, isn't it? It opens with our daily bread. We might expect daily bread to come last. It doesn't come last. Because we can't, we can't think straight if we have a, an empty stomach, maybe. God gives the physical side first, but he spends twice as much time on the spiritual side of things in the prayer. For after seeking and asking for our daily bread from our Heavenly Father, we're taught to ask him to forgive our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors here What is sin pictured as in the Lord's Prayer? It's pictured as a debt. 
a debt that we owe that we are utterly unable to pay. We can't pay the debt of our sins. Only the death of Jesus Christ in our place on the cross is sufficient to cover our sins that we might be forgiven and have our sins removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Now, in case we're not sure what he means by debts, in verses 14 to 15, three times, he uses the word trespasses instead. What's a trespass? A trespass is another term for sin. It means to to cross a line. You know, you see people's houses, their fences often have no trespassing signs. Well, if you cross that boundary, you've you've trespassed and transgressed. That's what our sins are. So the nature and source of our debts is our sins. It's our transgressions and trespasses. Now, as great as our need for daily bread is, what greater possible need does any person in this world of sin and misery ever have more than that his or her sins might be forgiven by God? What's your greatest need as a human being? Greater than your daily bread, which we need to live. It's that your sins might be forgiven. Without that, nothing else matters. Without the forgiveness of your sins, all the daily bread, all the daily blessings in your life are nothing but coals on your head. They don't bring any true and lasting comfort if you don't have your sins forgiven. So if you're here this morning, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, you can be saved from your sins, from your trespasses, from your debt of sin. You can know the joy. You can know the joy of having your sins forgiven by a holy God. And all that's required of that is turning from sin and turning to Christ by faith. And your sins will be wiped away and removed as far as the east is from the west. You can know that you're forgiven. What John says in 1 John 5, it's similar. He says he wrote those things that you might know that you have eternal life. That you might, you who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that you might know you have eternal life by believing in his name. God does not want you to be in doubt that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life through faith in Christ. Here in this prayer, we're also reminded that those who are forgiven much must forgive each other as well. One author puts it this way. He says, extending true forgiveness is clear and persuasive evidence that we have been forgiven by God. The bottom line is that forgiven sinners forgive sin. Forgiven sinners forgive sin. I would add one syllable. I'd say forgiven sinners forgive other sinners. It's, it's evidence that we are truly children of God when we forgive each other from the heart. All through the Bible, not just in the Lord's Prayer, we're told, forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. Not only that, but those who sincerely desire the forgiveness of our sins will detest those same sins. That's a proof of real repentance, isn't it? We'll seek the Lord's mercy and help in repenting and avoiding those same sins in the future, it's why, that's why we're also to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's easy to ask for forgiveness, but sometimes I think we ask for forgiveness without really wanting to avoid the sin. We want to wipe the slate clean and get it dirty again, and, and the Lord's Prayer tells us otherwise. If we really want forgiveness, we'll also want to avoid those same sins and ask for God's help that we need. On our own, we don't repent from sin. We need God's help to do that and to avoid temptation. How many of us pray for forgiveness without seeking God's help and restraining us from sin? And one thing we've said before, notice once again that all of these requests are plural. They're not singular. doesn't mean you can't pray it by yourself, but it says we pray to what? Our Father in heaven. And we pray for our, not mine, our daily bread and so on. So when we pray for our own needs... What does the Lord's Prayer teach us also to do to keep in mind our brothers 
and sisters in the church, not just here but elsewhere as well. We pray for each other. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray with each other and to pray for each other as well. May the Lord Jesus Christ be pleased to teach each of us again how to pray and teach us to be a praying church. And may we conform our prayers more and more to this great pattern prayer that he's taught us in his word. As we go spend this time studying through it in the weeks to come, may may he change our prayer lives and teach us to pray and how to pray. And by doing that, may we grow confident that we are praying according to the will of God, our Heavenly Father, and so we might receive the mercies of God that we request from him and so give glory to our God and Heavenly Father who delights to hear and answer the prayers of his adopted children in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks that we can call upon you as just that, that in Jesus Christ, by your great love for us in him, we can call upon you not just as God, but our God, and not just as our God, but as our Heavenly Father, and so we can know that you're not only able to do all things that we ask, and you're able to help us and grant mercy in time of need, but because you are our Heavenly heavenly Father, you are are well disposed and well pleased to hear and answer our prayers, Lord. We we often doubt that. We often doubt and and are discouraged from praying because we, we can't imagine that you want to hear and answer the prayers of your sinful people, but Lord, we give you thanks that you are full of comfort and mercy towards us, that you even command us to pray because you know we are so hesitant to do it, Lord. And you also, through your son's prayer here, teach us how to pray, that we can have confidence in knowing that we're praying according to your will. We pray that you would help us to be mindful of this in our prayers. We pray that you might be glorified in us and in our prayers, that your name might be exalted and hallowed in us as we pray and learn to pray again. We pray that your kingdom might come, that you might uh, use even our weak and sinful and and stammering prayers to, to be a part of building your kingdom, that your kingdom might come in answer to our prayers according to your will, that your will might be done in us and in our prayer lives. And we do pray, Lord, uh, and thank you for our daily bread that you have provided all of our needs, even when we have forgotten to ask for them. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we can, that you, again, you command us to ask for. And if you command us to ask for our forgiveness of our sins on an ongoing basis, that we can be certainly well encouraged and confident that you are pleased in Christ to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. And Lord, we are a sinful people. We are prone to wander, as the hymn writer says, Lord. And we thank you that you ask us to pray, not to lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Lord. And if you command us to pray that, how much more pleased are you to answer such a prayer, that you would help us in our struggle against sin, that we might uh, be repenting every day, Uh, by the work of your Spirit, that we might more and more die to our sins and live unto righteousness in a way that is pleasing in your sight and glorifying the name of Christ. We pray that you would teach us to pray as you've taught your disciples and make us a praying church. Make this church, make each of our families even, a house of prayer for all the nations, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.